This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. At the half hour, we'll turn Red Skelton loose and find out what goofy character he'll inhabit tonight. But first, I know there's a listener in Waterloo, Iowa, who will be very pleased that I'm featuring an episode of his favorite show tonight. So, Dave Kelly, settle back and enjoy the acting chops of Frank Lovejoy in the title role as Randy Stone, a reporter who covered the night beat for the Chicago Star. Tonight's episode of Night Beat is entitled Fear. Night Beat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the Night Beat for the Chicago Star. Which is as good a way of making a buck as any if you like walking and nobody's hiring mailmen. <laughs> yeah, I'm real bitter tonight. It all began with a column I wrote, oh, a few months ago, about a fire in a little nightclub over on the north side and the panic that followed. Afterwards, I couldn't get that panic out of my system. Human beings reduced to the level of animals. All I had to do was walk calmly out of the building, but no, they tore and smashed and clubbed and clawed, not caring about anything but their own precious skin. And so three people were trampled to death. It griped me, and I wrote in my column that we were all a lot closer to the jungle than we realized when human beings could act so vile and so ugly in the face of fear. A couple of hours later, the galley sheet of the column was tossed on my desk, and, as usual, the proofreader had found a dozen mistakes in my spelling. But something else was added. Across the story was written... Too bad the human race doesn't come up to your standards. Signed, Fraser. I don't know, maybe I was feeling a little bad about the column myself, but it kind of got under my skin. I put in a call to the proofreader's desk to have Mr. Fraser drop around. I'd hardly hung up the phone when a little dame about 70 years old, five feet tall but hard as nails, came down the aisle. Pencil sticking out everywhere from her gray hair and her celluloid eye shade firmly in place. Mr. Fraser's been dead for 38 years, but if you don't mind talking to his widow... I sit down. I, uh, <laughs> I just called you over to punch you in the nose. Oh. You want to do it here or should we go down to the alley? <laughs> I'll take a rain check. It's too soon after Mother's Day. You burned me up putting yourself on a pedestal. Shame on you. 
Well, you weren't at that fire. You didn't see those nice human beings tear at each other like tigers. And you've never really been afraid, have you, Mr. Stone? Oh, I don't know. Of course you don't know. That's what makes me sore. You don't know what real panic can do to you. It can tear you apart. It can poison you. Don't kid me, Fraser. You've never been afraid of anything in your life. Oh, not much I wasn't. You ever hear of the lakeside? No, that was when you were still in cotton triangles. Well, it was a vacation ship. And it tipped over in Lake Michigan. And I was on it. And let me tell you something, laddie boy. I torn, clawed, and ripped with the best of them. Sure, I was ashamed afterwards. But it left me with something more than shame. It left me with understanding. Well, maybe. The only way to understand hunger is to go without food. You won't ever understand fear until you've really been afraid. I mean afraid in every drop of blood, in every nerve. Then you'll understand it. And maybe you'll climb down off that pedestal. Now, is there anything else you wanted to say to me? No, no, but thanks for letting me talk myself out. Okay. See you around. Oh, and another thing. Yeah. You spell like a two-year-old. I before E except after C. Will you please remember that? She was a doll. I wasn't going to argue with her about anything, spelling or fear. Except that... Being a strictly no-hero-type guy, I'd still like to see the day that anything could turn me into the savages I saw at that fire. And that was the end of it. For a few months, anyhow. Until I got the letter. This letter was on top of the pile. Nothing unusual about the envelope. No return address. Postmark, Winona, Illinois. Uh, dear Mr. Stone, I'm mailing this letter so that you will receive it on May 24th. It is important that you receive it then, because after that you would not receive it at all. You see, sometime between the evening of May 24th and the following morning, I am going to kill you. Hmm? Oh, anonymous. Well, yeah, that figures. Uh, going to kill you. I realize you will instantly decide that I am a harmless crackpot. Oh, instantly, brother, instantly. And I am counting on that to keep you from going to the police. Let me assure you that I have no motive for killing you. I know you only through your newspaper column, and you know me not at all. But then what motive has the hunter of the fox beyond the excitement of the kill itself? Hmm, brother. I selected you as my victim because as you walk the city at night, you make a very excellent target. And also because, obviously, from your writings, you are an intelligent man. Well, flattery's going to get this kid nowhere. I am writing you about my plans because I want you to spend every second constantly on guard. 
I want you to wonder about your fate. Wonder when it will happen. And how. A knife, a gun, poison. Whatever way I choose, I assure you, I will trap you in a most unusual fashion. Hmm. Well, thank you and good night. And I tossed the letter from Winona, Illinois, into the wastebasket. Everyone who wrote a column got one of these every so often. The world was filled with such goofs. By the time I started on my night beat that evening, I couldn't even tell you the exact words of the letter. By the time I made my regular stop at Gus's Beanery around nine, the letter from Winona was gone from my mind. The beanery was empty. I went over to the counter. Uh, evening, Mr. Storm. Hey, your paper called. Kindly give the switchboard a ring. Ah, thank you. What's the soup du jour, if I may be so bold? Hmm, what's always the soup du jour at this establishment? Whatever won't go down the garbage disposal, mixed with liberal amounts of Lake Michigan's finest. <laughs> you make it sound heavenly. <laughs> uh, a large bowl. I'll call it. As I dialed the paper, I idly watched the seedy little character push his face against the restaurant's plate glass window and then come slowly into the place, shuffling uncertainly. Then the gal at the paper answered, and I turned to the phone. Chicago Star. Uh, this is Stone. What small crisis are we faced with tonight? Oh, Mr. Stone, you had a long-distance call. Let me see. Here it is, from somebody in Winona, Illinois. That letter. You say something? Uh, no, no, go on. Well, the party seems terribly anxious to reach you. He left a number to call in Winona, said if he didn't hear from you within an hour, he was coming into the city to find you. That was almost two hours ago. Did he leave his name? No, just a phone number. One, eight, three, six. But like I said, he called two hours ago and he said that... If yeah, he... yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you might try him, though. He really seems desperate to find you. Oh, well, good for him. Thanks, kid. As I hung up the phone, I noticed that my stomach muscles had tightened ever so slightly. And the palm of my hand was just a little damp. I called the Winona number like a real sucker, and the phone rang on and on at the other end. And I got the mental picture of some wild-eyed loon sitting in a dark room, hearing the phone ring and shrieking himself silly at having fooled me. Then I turned and started walking back to the restaurant counter. I noted that the seedy little character who'd come in while I was on the phone, with every seat in the restaurant empty, had chosen the seat next to mine. There he was, nursing a cup of coffee right next to my bowl of soup. I kind of smiled inwardly at the odd little feeling that gripped my knees for an instant and was gone. I sat down beside him, looking at his reflection in the long mirror behind the counter. A watery-eyed, moth-eaten little character in a frayed coat. I salted my soup, reached for the spoon. And then I realized humorously that the uh, feeling that had been in my knees was now in my wrists. Now, uh, let's face it, Randy, old boy, old kid, old top, this is undoubtedly the killer, and he has unquestionably spilled strychnine into your soup. 
I grinned to myself, wondering why the grin kind of caused my lips to ache. And then I dipped my spoon into the soup. Only, you know, it was a little funny how he'd chosen the seat next to mine with a whole restaurant at his disposal. The spoon of soup was on its way to my lips and that odd feeling had now settled in my elbow. Ah, knock it off, I thought. Act your age. You're a big boy, Randy. Drink the soup. But it was an amusing thought. I mean, Winona was only 40 miles from Chicago, and he would have had time to get here by now. Ah, the soup, kid, yeah. Well, the soup had reached my lips, and my eyes automatically went to the big mirror. He was staring straight at me, expectantly. I put the spoon down. Ah, uh, Gus, come over here, will you? Sure. What can I do for you, Mr. Stone? My soup got cold. How about another bowl? Sure thing. It's a break for the cat. Oh, no. Not the cat. Eh? Why not the cat, friend? I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll be going. Now, one second. Why not the cat? Fine soup like that? I, I sure wouldn't mind if the soup wasn't so warm. Why? That bowl of soup. You were away. It drew me like a magnet. It became the most wonderful thing in the world, sitting next to it, inhaling its spicy aroma. Oh, oh it's frightening how one's values change. <gasps> it's very frightening. I'll be going now. No, 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 wait a minute. Uh, the soap is fine for me, Gus. Serve this gentleman the hot bowl and see what else you'll have. Sure, Mr. Stone. I, I always made my own way. Sometimes everything gets out of hand. But really, I, I don't want charity. Well, take my word for it, sir. I owe it to you. I left the beanery a little after ten, feeling like an idiot junior grade. Back to work, wandering the lonely places of the night, looking for my story... The railroad yards where kids in overalls flipped off the freights and brushed the straw from their jeans, thinking, Chicago, here I am. Past the produce markets beyond the loop where trucks were already coming in and loading their crates of fruits and vegetables. Through the narrow canyons of the downtown financial district, deserted, empty. The night wind whipping the scraps of paper that was so vital yesterday into the gutter. But tonight, the story wasn't there. It wouldn't come. Tonight, something was gnawing at me, and I kept pushing it away, trying to shame it out of my system. But I couldn't shake it. Finally, I stopped in at a gas station. It was closed for the night, but the phone booth was open. But Winona 1836 was never going to answer. Then the newspaper again to see if they'd heard from him. Oh, yes, Mr. Stone. I was trying to reach you. He came in all right more than an hour ago. He's there now? No. He hung around a while. He seemed so agitated. Then he said he'd find you himself and left. Uh, what does this character look like? Gee, how would you describe... Well, an uh, average-looking fellow, only excited. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. Listen, if he comes back... You very quietly dial P O five one three one three. You understand that? But that's the police. You catch on fast, baby. 
NBC is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. There's more mystery later this evening with two rough and tough crime fighters. There's the amazing Mr. Malone, a daring private detective equally proficient at romance or solving murders. Followed by the man called X, an intrepid soldier of fortune played by Van Heflin, who travels to all the dark and mysterious corners of the world, combating the evils of international intrigue. Yes, there's action and adventure every Friday here on NBC. Now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. After the gal on the switchboard had told me that my chum from Winona was now in town, I stayed in the phone booth in the deserted little gas station to call the police. The crazy man somewhere in the dark city looking for me. No, no, I wasn't having any. Oh, hello. Give me Captain Barton. Barton speaking. Oh, Captain, this is Randy Stone of the Star. Yes, Randy. Look, some schoolboy is out gunning for me. I think I need some help. Uh, a little slower, Randy. Uh, I got a letter from this guy. I thought he was just a crank, I but I... I can't understand you. Talk slower. Relax, Randy. This doesn't sound like you. Well, it is me. It's me, all right. Now, look, I don't know who this guy is or when he'll decide to move in. But it's not so good for the nerves, Captain. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Start from the beginning. And then I heard the sound. Someone tapping on the glass door of the phone booth. I turned. It was dark, but I could see his face, wild and excited. You hear what I said, Randy? Do it slow, Randy. I don't even remember hanging up the phone. I felt my throat closing up. He was a slight fellow, his hands hammering against the glass door. They looked extraordinarily white and strong. I opened the door quickly. Thanks. Sorry to have to cut you short like this. But, boy, I, I think this is it. Huh? Her pains are coming every three minutes now. The doc said when they start like that, to call him quick. Man, am I nervous. It's my first kid, you know. He was nervous. I started walking fast trying to find a cab so that I could get to the police station and make that lughead Barton understand what was happening. Only none of the cabbies ever bothered with this neighborhood this late at night. Warehouses, small factories, lofts, everything shuttered up for the night. A hundred times I'd walked this street without ever realizing how completely lonely it was. A figure was coming the other way without even thinking. I crossed the street to the other side. And the figure went on. Now I wasn't wasting any time telling myself what a dope I was. I wanted to get to that police station fast. There were no cabs, but a block ahead was a subway entrance. I hurried toward it, all my nerves jangling. I figured maybe a cigarette might make me calm down. I ducked into a doorway, struck a match. As the match burst into flame, I saw I wasn't alone. Waiting for you. For me? You, the bunny Prince Charlie, Harry S. Truman, the man on the flying trapeze, anybody with a pack of cigarettes and a social conscience. Uh, here, uh, take the whole pack. I thank you. 
For you have made me king of the night. Now, till dawn, I will stand here and let the galaxies entertain me. Sagittarius, the Pleiades, Perseus, the tiny North Star, dancing all of them to the music of our thrashing earth. Oh, fine, Grace, thanks. See you around. I kept on walking, thinking, Riley, any other night, what a kick I'd have gotten from shooting the breeze with a guy like that. Poet of the darkness, his study, any alley, any doorway of the city. But tonight, all I wanted was to reach the subway up ahead and get to the police. And then I was standing before the subway entrance. But it was dark, and across the entrance was the sign closed after 10 p.m., Fullerton Station open. Fullerton Station, that was four blocks across town. Everything was against me tonight. The whole city was against me. Every building and every street. For the first time in my life, it was all strange. I hated it. I hurried toward Fullerton, through an area of condemned tenements now being torn down for a housing project. Everything broken and shattered against the night. But beyond the ruins, the lights of Fullerton Street, the subway, safety. The word had never meant much to me, but now it meant everything. I was walking very quickly, trying with all my willpower to keep from running. My heart beating too hard inside me and my nerves feeling them tighten. And I stopped. I looked around me frantically. Not another soul. The bulldozers and other heavy equipment standing alone in the streets... The smashed buildings, nothing else. And then I realized the voice was coming from the building just to my right. An ancient, sprawling apartment house. Two upper stories already demolished, but the lower part still standing. I rushed over to the building. The windows were boarded up, but the boards were rotten, and I fell on a side. Are you in here? the arched entrance of the building, also boarded up. Even in the darkness, I could read the large sign nailed across the front, Condemned Danger. I tore the boards aside, and I went into the building. It was like looking into a cave. The faintest moonlight from outside revealed broken floors, smashed walls, and narrow hallways leading off in all directions. pockets for matches. There were none. I'd given them to the philosopher. Have any idea where you are in relation to the entrance? No. Came in by the drywall place. Wall collapse. Now look, fella, I can't find you in the dark. I'll go for help. No, no, please. Don't leave me alone. Can't hold out much longer. Timbers. Give me the gown. Don't leave me. All right. All right, but keep talking. I'll try to follow your voice. You tell me if my footsteps seem to be getting closer. Yes, I will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I went down what had apparently been the main hallway. Rooms arched off in every direction. 
I stumbled. I crashed through rotting floors trying to reach. Empty room after empty room. Some dimly lit by the moon, most of them in deep, suffocating darkness. Keep talking. Your voice sounds closer. Okay, yeah. You seem closer to me. I'd gone down at least half the length of the building. Once I looked back and the front door seemed so far off now. Gave me a strange feeling. Really close to get something, you know. You never know. It's going to catch up. Sir. How? Or where? Mister! Did you want to stop? Why did you say that? What? I don't get you. You never know when fate will catch up to you. How or where? That's what the letter said. What letter? Mister... What are you talking about? Step on it, Mister. Hurry! How long have you been here? Oh. Answer me. Hours. Why didn't somebody else find you? Why did you wait for me? Mister, can't answer questions. Help! Come on, will you? But I couldn't move. The blackness seemed to close me in. I started having trouble breathing. Come on, come on. You're close now. Close, yes. His voice seemed to be right ahead of me. Come on. Or behind me. Come on. Where was it? Was he waiting for me there in the darkness, waiting to spring at me, a gun in his hand or a knife? Come on. What are you doing? His voice didn't sound right. It didn't sound right. He was only pretending to be hurt. He wasn't hurt at all. Oh, no, stop it, Randy. Get a control of yourself. You've got to help him. But no, I couldn't move. My legs had turned to stone. I couldn't budge. Completely at his mercy, this crazed man. I'll trap you in a most interesting way. What was that? I thought I heard a movement. He was coming for me through the darkness. I had to get away. I had to get away. Sit down, Randy. Yeah, thanks, Captain. Thanks. Hey, you look terrible. What's happened? Well, I started telling you over the phone. This crazed loon sent me a letter saying that he was going to kill me. He was going to trap me. I know me. all about the letter. The guy's right in the next office. The next office? Sure. He came into town a couple of hours ago. Send Mr. Harris in. He was here when you phoned. I was just kidding you along, and then before I could tell you, you hung up. But he couldn't be. He... Uh. Uh, Mr. Harris, this is Randy Stone, the man you've been trying to reach. Oh, Mr. Stone, you? You're the one who sent the letter? Oh, no. No, 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 I'm the tenant there at the sanitarium. Sanitarium? Yeah, for the insane. It's a private one at Winona. I, I should have known better, but, well, he seemed so rational at the time. What are you talking about? The letter, you know, he, the letter, he gave it to me. He asked me to mail it as a favor to him. Said he was sending you a letter of appreciation for your fine column. But wait. Oh, I, I know it's against all the rules to mail the letters without the superintendent reading them, but, well, well like I say, he seemed so rational. And, and then, then after I mailed it, then he told me what he'd written. Well, that's why I've been trying so desperately to reach you. Because I, I could get fired if it ever came out that I... You mean he's up in Winona, locked up? Oh, sure. Sure, you, you don't have to worry about that. Captain, he's... 
Get a car and for God's sake, hurry. Yes, the poor guy in the abandoned apartment was still alive when we got to him, but no special thanks to me. I felt like such a fool, I didn't know how I was going to live with myself. And then I remembered somebody. And even if it was just a little after three in the morning, I went calling. When she saw who it was, she reached for a coffee pot to bang me on the head, but when I told her about tonight, well, she added water and put the coffee pot over a high flame instead. So you had to wake me up to tell me what a bum you are, huh? Yeah. Uh, no different from the others. Clawing, tearing. And just why should you be different, lover boy? You a special design or something? After the Lord finished with you, he threw away the pattern? Okay, okay. Don't you get it yet, brain? We're all in the same jungle. And fear is what keeps us there. And the only way we're ever going to get out is hand in hand. Well, that sounds great, but uh, what about me? How do you ever get over feeling like a worm? Oh, there's a way. I'll give you some of this poisonous brew, and then I'll whisper the secret into your little pink ear. It wasn't much of a secret. All she did was send me down to the office, back to the typewriter, to put it all down, every word, and in the first person. And you know, maybe it's the same with fear as it is with a lot of other things. As soon as you stop hiding it, as soon as you share it around, the sting is gone. But brother, fear is a deadly weapon that makes the atom bomb look like a squirt gun. Maybe the day we all stop being afraid. Maybe that's the day the new world they all talk about will officially begin. I guess the article I wrote was okay because when it got back to me from the copy reader's desk, scrawled across the front in that bold, angry hand was, Welcome back to the human race, but your spelling is atrocious. <laughs> okay, Fraser, I love you too. Copy point. Stay tuned for Red Skelton next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Red Skelton next on Theater of the Mind. The Raleigh Cigarette Program, starring Red Skelton with David Forrester and his orchestra, our singing star, Anita Ellis, Gigi Pearson, Verna Felton, Pat McGee, and our guest, Wonderful Smith, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. It's a pleasure to bring you Metro Golden Mayor's popular comedian and the star of the Raleigh Cigarette Program, Red Skelton! 
Thank you, thank you very much, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, hello, Red. What do you know? I don't know nothing. What do you know? I don't know nothing. Well, what do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like good material. I wish we had some. (laughs) No, all my jokes are new tonight. All new jokes. Really? All new jokes, Red? Yeah, tonight the corn is green. What's new this week, Rod? Well, they hit the moon. They what? They hit the moon. Must have been a woman driver. <laughs> hey, I don't know much about the moon. Tell me, does the moon rotate around the sun? Yes, Red, all planets revolve around the sun. Boy, Los Angeles really takes a detour, don't it, huh? <laughs> it's interesting, though. I wonder what the moon really is. Well, I've heard several definitions, but I think it's a cold, clammy, lifeless body that glares down at us. Oh, sort of like an income tax collector, huh? <laughs> Well, not to change the subject, Red. I wish you would, really. <laughs> but I'd like to say your trip to Las Vegas last week did you good. You look really? fresh as a flower. A potted one. Yes. <laughs> Nothing. Yes. <laughs> he said to me, let's put that joke in for a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Where is it, Doc? <laughs> I'll never take another trip across that desert, though. It took me five days. Five days? Why, it's only 200 miles. Yeah, I can only travel at night, though. My thumb's sunburned so easily. <laughs> well, did you see Boulder Dam? Yes, I took my father to get his mind off of drinking, you know. Really? And it helped? No, he took one look at Boulder Dam and he says, Look, no wonder you can't get a chaser. They're holding it back. <laughs> I saw a papa beaver talking to about 20 little baby beavers. He mm-hmm. got them all together, and he says, Look, kids, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Well, it's pretty crowded in Las Vegas. Tell me, Red, uh, what did you do about finding a place to stay? Well, I finally told the mayor that I was tired of sleeping in the park. Yeah, what did he say? Nothing. He just laughed and laid back down on the bench and went to sleep again. <laughs> but where did you stay, Red? At the Last Frontier Hotel. That's really a nice place to have gambling there, you know. Really? Yes, in case you ever go there. Notice that white flag over the hotel. That's my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, say, I noticed a beautiful hat box in your dressing room. Something good inside? Yes, it's a present for Anita Ellis. Oh, a present for me, Red? Yes, Anita, but I'm a little nervous about giving it to you. <laughs> Oh, why, Red? Well, you know how women are. You give them something and then they get all mushy and want to kiss you, you know. <laughs> oh, Red, I don't think I'm like that. You not? <laughs> you mean I carry that thing all the way up here for nothing? <laughs> and now lovely Anita Ellis sings Some Sunday Morning. <laughs> Sunday morning is going to be some Sunday morning for someone and me. Bells will be chiming an old melody, especially for someone and me. will stare Can't you hear them saying Gee, what a peach of a pear Some Sunday morning We'll walk down the aisle He'll be so nervous And I'll try to smile Things sure look rosy 
someone and me Some Sunday morning you see There'll be an organ playing Friends and relations will stare Gee, can't you hear them saying Oh, what a peach of a pain So nervous, and I'll try to smile. Things sure look rosy for someone and me. Some beautiful Sunday morning, you see. Thank you very much. Tonight, we open the Skelton Scrapbook of Satire to a story entitled, Looking for Trouble. Our characters are fictional. If there's any similarity to persons living, they should go down to the morgue and give themselves up. <laughs> Chapter 81 of Looking for Trouble is entitled, The Man Who Stole Miguel. This is the story of Deadeye and his long search for gentleman Jim Harkins, the man who ran away with his girl, Margie the Clipper. It's midwinter in Montana. The blizzard is raging... Boy, it's a butte. Montana, that is. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! Oh, come on, horse boy! Yeah, you okay, wonderful? Yeah, but Deadeye, why go to all this trouble to get even with some critter who stole your gal? Why? Didn't you ever fall in love? No, but I fell in a river once. That's the same thing. You get soaked either way. <laughs> Well, Deadeye, I'm turning back. Turning back? Is that all our friendship means? No, Mr. Deadeye. You know I'd face death for you. Oh, yeah? Then how come you ran when that grizzly bear challenged us? He wasn't dead, was he? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I gotta find gentleman Jim Harkins, the guy that stole my gal. Well, let's look in California. California? What's that? That's... That's a place where you get hit by a woman driver and you take a sun bath while waiting for an ambulance. Oh. There's an ambulance. There's people up in these mountains. I can hear them. Look, there's a cabin just ahead of us. Let's inquire in there, and if they ain't seen my gal and gentleman Jim, then we'll head for California. Okay. Come on, let's race for the cabin. It was a tie. Yeah, but I would have won if I'd have hit a horse. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go up and knock on the door here. Deadeye! Howdy, Gal! Hey, what did you follow me up here for, Deadeye? Stop playing the piano, will you, Gal? Yeah. Talk to me. I said, what did you follow me up here for? Because I can't live without you, Gal. <laughs> So why can't you live without me? Because you got all my money, gal. <laughs> it's good to see you again, gal. Come on, sit on my lap. Here, pull up a knee and sit down. Okay. <laughs> hmm. Still bow-legged as ever, ain't you? <laughs> yeah, I've been that way ever since I swallowed that chicken wishbone. <laughs> I'm proud of that. That's <laughs> 
Why don't you come back to the Flathead County with me, gal? It's no use, Ted. I'm Gentleman Jim Hawkins. He's promised me a love nest. Well, you go with me. I'll give you some Snickers. <laughs> After all, why should the girl in the balcony have all of them, you know? How about kissing me, gal? No, Ted, I, I don't want to kiss. Why not? I'd rather have a Raleigh. Yeah. Who's that? Uh-oh. Did I? Jim Hawkins just rode up. Uh-oh. I thought I recognized your horse, did I? Stand back, gal. Uh, here's a cowboy that's seen too many of them Errol Flynn pictures. <laughs> did I? Why don't you let us be? Maggie the Clipper and I are as happy as two bugs in a rug. Well, you better pull in your ears, because my gun's is loaded with DDT. <laughs> don't shoot me, did I? You can have your gal. Gentlemen, Jim, you ain't no gentleman. You're so yellow you could give transfusions to bananas. Yeah. <laughs> well, that skins me. <laughs> I'm proud of that. <laughs> Why don't we be fair and square about this, huh? We'll fight a duel for her hand. Very well. Count three and we'll both draw. Now, he ought to know better than that. <laughs> okay, come outside. Very well, did I? There, take that! Why, oh. you didn't even give Deadeye a chance. Yeah. I'm done for, Gail. I'm on my way to that cabin in the sky. Oh, Deadeye. Deadeye, you can't go to that cabin in the sky yet, because I love you. Oh, no, goodbye, Gail. Roll me over on my face. I don't want to see where I'm really going. <laughs> you better go in. I'm proud of that. You better go inside out of the cold, gal. Gentlemen, Jim, we're through. Well, I didn't know you loved him so much. Come in. Howdy, folks. Did I? I thought you were going to that cabin in the sky. You wouldn't let me in. Why? No vacancies up there, either. <laughs> Chapter 82. Thank you. Chapter 82 is entitled, I've Been Insulted. When a girl has been insulted, she usually looks for her man to fight to protect her honor. If she can find him, it's usually Clem Cadiddlehopper. <laughs> well, here I am. Some Sunday morning. do 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 I wonder if Sarah Dew's all alone. I'll just sneak up to the door and listen for a minute. No, I better stop that listening. I'm beginning to hear things. Well, howdy, Clay. Well, Sarah Dew, howdy duty to you, too. It's a nice day today, ain't it? The sun got back from Florida early this year, didn't it? <laughs> Say, uh, what did you want to see me about? Well, Clem, people are talking. Well, of course they're talking. What do you expect them to do, Bart? <laughs> That's too fast for her. She didn't get it. <laughs> well, what's this I hear about you and the Widow Brown? It's a lie. I don't even know the woman. And that's a lie, too. <laughs> 
Bond. Yes, and medical science can give you proof positive. <laughs> I'm proud of that. Well, you took that widow to the movies the other night, didn't you? I did not. She took me. Well, did you hold her hand? I sure did. Why? She was sniffing my popcorn. Only on the cheek. Well, you sure it wasn't her lips? Well, she was grinning a little at the time. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Who told you I took her to the movies? Well, I heard it at the drugstore. A feller said, there goes that Sarah Do, and she plays second fiddle for Clam Cadiddlehopper. I didn't even know you had a union card. <laughs> no, Clem, either you make that blabbermouth apologize, or we are through. Really? Well, then, come on. I'll go down and make him take it back. I won't stand for that at all. At all, I hey, won't stand Clem, for that. you're going the wrong way. <laughs> Sometimes my feet's a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> now, come on, let's go. Now, let's go. Well, here's the drugstore. Oh, and there is the fellow who insulted me. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll take care of him right now. Come here, you. Hey, put me down. Yeah, I'll put you down. What's this talk you started about me? Clem. I'm going to beat you to a pulp. You're the type of a guy I can handle. You put me down. Yeah. Clem, he didn't say it. He didn't? No. i put that midget down. <laughs> well, if he didn't say it, who said it? That big fella, he's the one. Go on, Clem, make him take it back. Him? Huh? <laughs> oh, surely he didn't say it. Well, yes, he did. Yes, he did, didn't you? Didn't you say Clem was a two-timer? Yes, I did, and don't start anything or I'll knock you conscious. <laughs> Come on, put up your mitts. Now, look, I'll give you one last chance to apologize. I apologize to you, you lily-livered, chicken-hearted nincompoop. Well, that's mighty decent of you. <laughs> You heard her. Now look, dog meat, go home and play with your toys or I'll slap your face. You slap my face and I'll bite your fingers off. <laughs> I'll bite your fingers off, you slap me. Oh, you will! <laughs> yes, sir, I'll gum them off, I will. <laughs> And now David Forrester and his orchestra plays Tumbling Weeds.
Looking for Trouble is entitled, Time to Go to Bed, Kitties. When a child is reminded that it's bedtime, there's usually a little trouble. But with the little child psychology, it can be handled pretty nicely. With everyone except the mean widow kid. It's time all good little boys were in bed. Well, that's what they get for being good, you know. <laughs> I will come in. Wait till I get me wagon here. Pull me wagon. Oh, wait a minute, Julia. You can't bring that wagon in the house. Why not? It isn't yours. That's right. I got it from the widow kid next door. In a widow deal, I cook up at my wagon. What did you give him for it? Well, he was happy with the whole deal, you know. <laughs> what did you give him for it? A black eye. <laughs> Come, hurry upstairs and take your bath and get ready for bed. Okay. I'm going to take a bath. I'm going to take a bath. Now what happened? The door was ajar. Now me poor little nose is a jam. Hey, <laughs> Grandma, how long will it be before I'm old enough I don't have to take baths no more? Never. Kind of a dull outlook, ain't it, huh? <laughs> Stop wasting time or the water in the tub will get cold. Okay, I will play Johnny Weissmer. I will run and dive into the water. Here I go. <laughs> Who pulled that stopper out? <laughs> I'd better throw the tub up again. I'd better throw the tub for the water. Oh, we don't find the Yes, don't come in, don't come in. I got nothing on, don't come in. Put your pajamas on and get out of there. Okay, okay, goodness. Everywhere you go these days, peeping toms, you know. <laughs> now, I did want to lay in the bubble bath and sort of soak a widow, too, you know. Now, I'll get my pajamas on. Now, I will get out of here. Well, you said put on me widow pajamas and get out of there. Junior, you don't put your pajamas on in the tub. Now she tells me. <laughs> My 
goodness, you're, you're still dirty. Huh? Didn't you use any soap? Yes, I did, but the way I used it, it lasts longer. I leave the wrappers on. <laughs> into these dry pajamas and get into bed. Okay, I am sleepy, but I will try. Just for you, I will try. Meow. 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 Now what are you doing? I'm taking a cat nap. <laughs> Junior. Grandma. Are you going to lie down or do I have to tie the ropes? No, I think the chains will hold me okay. <laughs> well, good night. <clears throat> Grandma. No, you can't have a drink of water. Well, what is this? Information, please? <laughs> Wait for the question. Well, what do you want? I'm thirsty. <laughs> you're just stalling, Junior. Either you're going to sleep or your aren't going to get any of that pie I make for tomorrow. Banana pie? Yes. With whipped cream? Yes. Nice, fresh banana? Yes. Never touch this. <laughs> Gotta watch me wait, you know. Gotta watch me wait. Junior, mm -hmm. be quiet. What? Did you hear that noise? No. You think they heard us? <laughs> Now, you don't you scare me. Now, I am scared. Now, now, nothing will get you. Yes, it will. They wouldn't keep you when they saw who they had. Yes. <laughs> you sure does love me, and it might be a stranger. They would keep me, too. Yes. Granny wouldn't let anything get Yes, it would just scare me. Don't be frightened. There, there. There, there. I'm frightened. Bless his little heart. Yeah, bless his little heart. <laughs> It's all right. It's only the man next door. Now, that's what I figured, but don't you think I handle this dramatic stuff pretty well? <laughs> oh, go to sleep. Okay. Hey, Grandma, why does that man next door come out every night and look up in the sky for, huh? He's a student of astronomy. He's oh. studying the stars. Oh, I want to see stars. You'll see plenty if you don't go to sleep. Well, can I have the glass of water for it? Oh, get it yourself. Do anything you like. Grow up to be an idiot and stay away from that pie. Okay. <laughs> Trusting old soul, ain't <laughs> Oh, boy, I'm off to the kitchen. I'm off to the kitchen. Now, I wonder where that pie could be. I wonder if it's just up here on this shelf here. I will take a little... Junior, what happened? What? What happened? I broke the crystal in me Mickey Mouse one. <laughs> Let's see what's up on this next shelf here. Oh, oh, a mouse trap, a mouse trap. Whew, boy, that cheese. Boy, that sure is strong, isn't it? Whew, boy, I bet them old mice have to back up to that stuff. <laughs> oh, there's the pie. There's the pie. Oh, there. I wonder if I could take a nice big hunk. Grandma might get mad, you know. And then again, she might say that little kid was hungry and it's okay. And then again, I don't know why I was wasting my time thinking about it. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> oh, boy. <clears throat> Mm, boy, that's sure is good. My eyes are bigger than my tummy, though. I can't put this back because Grandma would smell a two-legged rat named Junior. And I just throw it out the window. Oh, that man standing there. Sounds like a bull's eye, doesn't it? Oh, dear, he shouldn't have been standing there. I think he saw me. I, I better get sleepy and get to bed real quick. Well, good night, Grandma. Good night. Aren't you going to say your prayers? I said them on the way upstairs. You think they'll be answered? Not now, no, no. Junior, now see if you can go to sleep. If that's for me, I'm going to be born next week, Tyler. Oh, probably someone got pie-eyed and has the wrong house. If he's pie-eyed, he got the right house. <laughs> yes? 
Where is that little grandson of yours? He's in bed. With indigestion, no doubt. Look at my suit. I wouldn't be seen in it. Why don't you have it cleaned? I'm going to, and you're going to get the bill. Hey, what's all the noise about? Can a widow fellow get some sleep around here? Do you mind telling me what this is all about? I was standing under your window looking up at the stars. Suddenly I turned to look at the big dipper, but it wasn't the dipper. It was that kid's hand with a big hunk of pie in it. Do tell. Why did you hit me with that pie? Oh, you wanted a drink of water, eh? Junior, come here. No, I don't want to. Don't whip me. I will be good. No, no, no. Now, get to bed. I don't know what it is with me. I don't have a care or a worry in the world. But every night I cry myself to sleep. <laughs> Remember, we'll all be with you on every Tuesday night at the same time. Red Skelton, David Forrester and his orchestra, Anita Ellis, Vernon Falton, Gigi Pearson, Pat McGeehan, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. Until next Tuesday, then. This is Red Skelton saying goodbye now, and thanks for listening. And listen to Bob Hope next week when he presents the Look Magazine Award. And remember, the March of Dimes. Goodbye now. Remember, listen to Hildegard tomorrow night, and the people are funny without Linkletter Friday night on the most of these stations. Red Skelton is heard in this program through the courtesy of Metro-Golden-Lair. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night is Pat Novak for Hire, followed by the Jack Benny Show. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.